This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. Welcome to Author Voices on Air, and I'm your host, Rick Bell. Our next book is the outcome of many years of dedicated service to the photographic industry, and one area in particular, the wedding sector. We all love a wedding. Some of the stories in the book will tease in mind. Some going back many years, some only a few. The names, of course, have been changed to protect the guilty, but the stories have not. This book is of a vivid collection of some of the strange and often bizarre things that have happened over the years. Some believable and some very hard to swallow, but nonetheless true. There are a few fascinating facts thrown in along the way to interest and amuse you. Also information about matrimony that you probably didn't know, featuring various traditions and cultures from around the world. 2,000 Weddings But No Funerals is co-written by Les Stubbs and Benjamin J. West, who are both joining me today. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Now, first of all, I believe that... Benjamin J. West is the pen name of Colin Haworth. Tell us how that came to be. And also, let's start by asking a little of the history behind your friendship, behind your partnership, and how that came into writing this book. Well, Ray Stubbs here. I'm the photographer. Um, uh, Benjamin J. West is beside me, or Colin Haworth. As, as he's, he's, Benjamin J. West is his pseudonym for writing. Um, we are actually uh, blood related and we're distant rel- relatives, and we only actually met around about 20 years ago. Um, the, the, uh, the stories in the book are, are a lifetime of taking photographs and sharing experiences and laughs with other wedding professionals. My first wedding was covered in 1971, and the nervous left stood in front of over 100 guests on the first wedding. And uh, all these notes have been in the back of my head and written down. And of course, when Colin encouraged me to write the book, this is how it came about. But we are actually relations, but only known each other for 20 years, if that answers that. Now, you mentioned there how you worked on this book as a partnership. Uh, You've also mentioned that your particular expertise is in photography. I believe that Benjamin has actual experience, has a lot of experience uh, in writing. Tell us a little more about that side of things. I'll pass you over to Colin. Hi. Hi, Colin. This was the third book that I had written. Um, The previous books were The Eight of Spades Alone for Themselves, which is the first part of the trilogy. The second part, which is the Eight of Spades, the end is just the beginning, is nearing completion. And the third part will just roll on and follow that. I've also written a book called Weird and Wonderful Yarns, which is by a writer called Mr. Whitehead, which again is me. Um, Why I have two names, I'm not quite sure myself. So, um, And... Les had been going on at me for quite a while about he had lots of stories to tell. We should get together and write a book. And then eventually, that's exactly what we did. I mentioned during the introduction that everybody loves a wedding. And and photographs in themselves are, I think, apart from video, photographs are the one lasting memory that people have of that special day, whether it's their special day or a family member, a friend or so on. What do you think will appeal to the reader of this book um, about the photographs and about the stories? What's the one magical thing that makes this book work for the reader? Well, this is Les again. Um, This book actually will appeal to absolutely everyone who has been married, been a wedding guest or just experienced one of life's bloopers. 
when we say whoops, because these things literally do happen on a wedding. And, and some very sad things as well, actually, you know, um, which if you read the book, you will see. And all experiences in the book are absolutely true. As, as we said in the beginning, we've just uh, changed the names to protect the guilty. It's often said that every book has a story to tell. Every book has a lesson and something to teach the reader. With that in mind, yeah. what's the one thing that you would like the reader to learn or take away from reading this book? Well, it's obviously with different traditions around the world, it's how different cultures and traditions are so that they can compare themselves with little humour thrown in along the way to interest and amuse the reader. They will also be able to compare their own experiences. Um, it's interesting for people, you quite often, it's actually researching the book, how different um, even the colour of wedding dresses or where confetti came from, things like this. They, they, it's rounded off now is, is the wedding experience. And, it, and it really, all these cultures that have come back together, the fused together into one, and, and we're borrowing from other cultures as well. Um, so you can take away um, from it, as I say, what what uh, what's in the Far East, what traditions they have, and, and the simple fact like a wedding dress in the Far East is red because that's a lucky colour. Uh, in some Eastern European com countries, the wedding dresses are black. So, so it is very, yeah. So it is very true what you say that although, you know, all these cultures have their own different ideas and different traditions, but there are also many similarities that have been, I guess you could say, borrowed from various cultures. Um, what would you say is that the one thing that you think is universal um, in most cultures when it comes to weddings? Probably, probably the, the wedding ring is probably one of the, uh, the the biggest combining things. I think the, the wedding ring being that, that that continuous unbroken circle um, is is one tradition. I think that most most cultures do use the ring or some sort some sort of symbol of the the everlasting. If you if you like, you take your partner, your wife, or your husband for life. And, and that's the everlasting thing, and I, and I think that is that is true about being the, the, the marriage itself. Now we mentioned at the start of the interview how the book contains many stories, some sad, some humorous, certainly very interesting stories. Now, without giving too much away, give us a little taste of some of, keep it lighthearted, some of the humorous things that you write about in the book. Yeah, I'll give you one instance. He was a, a, a wedding photographer that is a, is a very good friend of mine. He's, he's, I'm, I'm, I've got 45 years of experience. Um, and Kevin, my, my friend, has, has been about around about 30 years. And we have a tradition in this country quite a lot now of going to, going to the bride's home um, to capture them getting ready before they actually leave for the church or for the civil, for the civil ceremony. And in this particular instance, um, Granny wanted to be in the, on, on the act, um, and all the brides and everybody's the hustle and bustle of the house. Um, there's, there's things, when you go to the houses, there's things everywhere, and it's quite amusing sometimes because, as a photographer, it seems as though you've sort of part of it, and you quite often get a, a bridesmaid that will run through the room in a scanties in the underwear, thinking, "Oh, he's only the photographer." And on this particular instance. Um, the bride's mother was looking all over for a hat. So Granny's in the corner of the, of the sofa. On, she's on a, uh, on a second sherry at this point, and uh, they couldn't find it anywhere. The car arrived to take the bridesmaids and, of course, the bride's mother, and she was really upset because she said she'd spent a lot of money on line buying this hat. And uh, when, the, when eventually Granny got up, the hat had been on the seat and squashed underneath her. So this was uh, this was one of the bloopers, and of course, Mum never went to the, uh, never got to wear a hat for the wedding. So, but it's actual experiences like that, are funny to us, but it's probably not to the bride's mum at the time. Well, 
it is said that uh, you know getting married and weddings, not just for the bride and groom, for but for immediate family and so on, are one of the most stressful uh, experiences that anyone can go through. But one of the magical things I think happens is that even when you get something like that happening, the memories that it brings to you know those that were around, those that happened to, I, I think you always look back on things like that with a smile and you know memories can be sad and be um, difficult but they're memories nonetheless now moving on to the type of book it is um, now it's it's not just a book about photography it's a book about memories it's a book about the things that have occurred um, to all those people involved in the wedding and yourselves as yourself as photographer but what would you say is the one thing that sets this book apart from the crowd? What what makes it different? Well, the, the marriage itself, you think, or the, the, the wedding well, the, experience? The, the the book in itself. What what makes it stand out amongst other books? What makes it different? What makes it, what makes the difference? Um, the, the the book. I've never seen a book like it, and. Um, I mean, we, we, we did look into this, and there's nothing on our shelves in this country anyway that, that comes anywhere near it. And people that have bought the book and said that, you know, this is brilliant. We've, we've always wanted to read something on this line. And something that, that is, is, we've got quotes from the famous about how, how they're in and out of their, their, their marriages and their proper quotations. And as I say, the culture and, and the, the, the simple... Things that people do on weddings, like um, in in England and possibly the British Isles, we used to have quite often uh, the chimney sweep turn up, and there's a, there's a particular reason that uh, they, they they were actually seen as a normally good look. But that's in the book as well, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll not give that away. You get the book, and you'll find that out. But this is a this is an experience, as, as, a, as we said earlier, that. Uh, Everybody has been a guest or involved in a wedding of some form. Whether it's good or bad, it might be, you know, it might be a nasty experience for them because they may be divorced now, but uh, it's still an experience. And if that, if that answers that question. Now, you pointed out, that you, you hit the point there about um, things being good luck, bad luck and so on. How important do you think superstition and tradition is to the bride and groom and to those immediately around them in, in the wedding experience? They, they are, and, and a lot of people are breaking away. There are a lot of civil ceremonies nowadays, but they still want to do the traditional things. Um, they still want to get married, they still want to exchange the vows, they still want to wear the wedding rings, and they still want to do everything the same. So they maybe think they're actually breaking away, but the tradition is still there. Now let's move on to talk about the writing of the book itself and the challenges and the rewards that each of you faced when you were researching and when you were writing this book. Tell us a little more about that side of the things. Okay, this, this is Les again, um, the photographer. Um, I started um, we basically putting notes down um, and Speaking to Colin, obviously we were always together. Um, I would send, I would email certain sections over to Colin, and uh, then he would he would put his. I'm, I'm not a, a a doctor of English or anything, so Colin would then put his touches to it. So it actually worked very well, and we didn't find that many problems to it. To be fair, but it, I'll, if I pass it over to Colin, hi, this is Colin, and. Um, yeah, basically what was happening was that um, Les was writing the stories down as just as notes or like a diary, and then he would send them to me, and then I would make uh, something of it and send it back to him for approval, and we just kept backwards and forwards until we came up with the final stories. Uh, my hardest part of it was uh, fitting it in with everything else that I had on the go at the time, um, because we actually started the book about a year after we wanted to, 
um, before we could both find time to fit in, in with each other. Um, but eventually we got there, and this is the end result. Two days again, yeah. yeah. Apart from, apart from uh, my wedding photography, my main bulk of my work is actually industrial, commercial, and news photography and everything. So this, again, was um, was quite often I'd be driving around and ideas would come into my head, you know, for the book, and I might often, quite often pull into the roadside and actually jot something down. So this, we were both very, very busy at the time, but uh, it, it worked. How did you manage yeah. things to to get the finished book? I mean, obviously it had a start, a middle, and an end. So how did you yeah. agree on the content of the book and on managing the book and eventually um, producing the finished article? We actually split the book into sections of, of actual experiences, whether, whether there were men, um, colleagues, video, videographers. We actually got some some snippets from vicars, from registrars, from car drivers. So th that was one section. The, the second section we, we decided to, to split up, and it was quotes and quotations from famous. And the third one was, was the traditions that we follow. So we, we did that. But the book took form. We wanted it to be a, a coffee table format where people could literally pick the book up open it and find something of interest. So we, we decided to put the experiences and mix them around. So there wasn't any particular start or end to the book, uh, but the experiences were interspersed with the, the, uh, the quotations from the famous and traditions. So it was a little bit easier to write because, as I said, that there was no particular beginning, middle or end to it. Now, on a light-hearted note, for the reader of the book, do you think that reading this book will encourage people to get married, not make any difference, or even discourage some people? Yeah, I, th I think there'll probably, um, in, in, in an expression we use, watch their P's and Q's. Um, I think they might take from it the, some of the experiences and think that won't happen to us because I'll be prepared for it. But also, it might introduce some of those uh, traditions that we never thought about and think that that might be nice to include in our wedding. But, uh, yeah, on a, on a funny side, I think it's it's good preparation and good foundations for not, not making those bloopers and the, the oops on the wedding. And it could, as you mentioned, about introducing new traditions, you could start... A whole lot of new trends in weddings, um, not only here but around the world. Yes, absolutely, because this book is actually sharing traditions that that are across the world that probably people never knew about. Um, things that happen uh, here over in England, and uh, you know, and, and people might think, I, "I like what happens in Vietnam. I like, I love that tradition, and maybe we we might have." a little bit of uh, the Vietnamese, Vietnamese experience or even maybe American, you know. But anything goes on weddings now. I mean, we get some funny themed weddings where people will come in fancy dress and all sorts now. And as we said before, weddings are full of wonderful and certainly interesting experiences. Moving forward, what's next for you both um, as writers? Do you have anything planned, anything up your sleeve that you can tell us about? Well, I'll, I'll pass you over to Colin for that, Zach. Well, I've, I've got the second part of the Eight of Spades trilogy. As I say, that is nearing completion at the moment. I've done all the groundwork for the third piece. And also, when it comes to the short stories by Mr. Whitehead, I have got another two books worth already written. Um, it's not got to the publishing stage yet because it, at the moment it's just gathering dust. But... Um, I've also got um, other books that I've done the groundwork for that I just, when I find time, I'll get round to it, if I ever do. In closing, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us that we haven't covered so far that you feel is important for our listeners and for your readers to know about your book? Well, perhaps um, 
some people reading the book might realise that they thought there was something special or a little bit strange in their wedding habits. They might find that by reading the book that they're just a normal person. One final thing. On that note, would you say that when it comes to weddings and when it comes to getting things right and having less stress and less things go wrong, would you say that simple is best? I think simple is best. Um, with weddings nowadays, uh, it, certainly in England and uh, the UK, um, I think a lot of young couples are getting into it very, very deeply financially um, and I think it needs to go back to the simple times. Thank you, gentlemen. 2,000 Weddings yeah. But No Funerals, written by Les Stubbs and Benjamin J. West, is published by Author House and is available from the publisher at authorhouse.com forward slash books store and all good bookstockers. Once again, many thanks to the writers and photographer Les Stubbs and Benjamin J. West for joining me. This is Rick Bell for Togonet Radio. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. My next book, The Man Who Murdered a Quarter of the World's Population, Factual, It Did Happen, is centred on a Sudanese lady who was sentenced to death for her Christian beliefs and was made to give birth while chained up by her legs in prison. Her story was broadcast around the world and here to tell us more about the story and about the book is the author Ira J. Ira. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Considering that this is a tragic and very true story, tell us a little bit about how that story inspired you to write this book. Well, it started actually not directly as uh, the Sudanese lady, uh, Miriam Ibrahim, but we, we were having a discussion in our church men's group, and they were discussing how that lady stood up for her faith, and by standing up, she was able to meet the Pope, and uh, her, her story went worldwide. Uh, in the press. And so we were discussing how one person could change situations uh, in the world. And um, there, was a, there were a few men before me who spoke, and they were given different opinions of who changed the world, like Hitler and Mussolini, and etc. But I had this one person in mind that changed the world but nobody seems to realize the uh, impact that it makes on the world because even now his children are feeling the, uh, the, 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 the impact of what he had done. And so uh, the Sudanese lady really inspired the whole group. And, uh, but this man who I, this, that, who I discovered done so much, he quite literally murdered a quarter of the world's population. That's where the, the story starts. Now, obviously, a story that 
very much inspired you and inspired the book. But you must have had a particular, excuse me, you must have had a particular person, a particular reader in mind when you were writing this book. Yeah, in particular uh, Christians, and not only Christians, but the whole world uh, religions, because it is in every religion, I suppose, this man is mentioned, but few people realize the, 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 the magnitude of what he had done. What would you say is the, the lesson that this book has for the reader? What does it teach them? The key to terms to me is that we must take the time to study uh, and to read uh, what is going on in the world because what is going on in the world right at this moment is a, a direct, have a direct influence on what this man did. And, and so his children are fighting like this man fought, but getting nowhere. We make a um, very uh, inspiring inventions, but still our hope or peace are not being realized. If someone was walking into a bookstore and they were looking for a book on this particular topic or something similar, why should they pick up your book? Well, uh, the, 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 the cover itself seems to um, inspire people. Only this morning I took up my email and in there a uh, chap was saying, it's very interesting. He, because a, a couple of days before, he saw the, the, the book and uh, he didn't buy it then. But um, after he bought it, he got, he got in touch with me to let me know how, how the, word, the book inspires him. Because um, another lady, she wanted to write her story. But my story inspired her, her to um, go, go forward. Because... The, 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 the picture on the cover tells the whole story. If a person take up the first page, it will make them want to go further because how can a thing be hidden in a blaring light as this man is, how uh, this man was? And that what, that's what I think will make people want to get involved in reading this book. Now let's go back to the very beginning, when you made that decision to sit down and write this book. Tell me a little bit about your experience um, as a, a first-time writer. The challenge was to get up off my bum, as it were. I hope that word doesn't sound too vulgar. But get up and do something, because I had written about uh, six pages of a book three or uh, four years before and keep putting it back but this story inspires me to do something and I, 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 I'm really enjoying the challenges of uh, going into myself and bringing out those things that are there but just like that I've written in the book it's hidden in me and I'm enjoying it. I'm, enjoy I'm enjoying the, the publication of the book so much because everybody, I suppose, wants to write a book. But I have done it. I, I have the book in my hand, and I am really loving the experiences when I uh, write to my friends and the, the, the Facebook and other places. The book is going like wildfire. That's great. Everybody wants to, to have a... Uh, a read of it. Now you talked there about how the story inspired you to write the book, but has the experience of writing this book inspired you continue writing and do you have any further books in the planning stages or in the pipeline? Well I suppose you heard it in my voice how I'm enjoying this experience. I am halfway through writing the, not the other one and I'm hoping that that will be probably sometime in uh, October, November. And I, ha I have another two, at least, lined up. In fact, 
each time I, uh, I sit down quietly and think, there's more books coming to my mind on different topics, not just on the religious side, but on a personal uh, level. It's wonderful to hear someone is so, if I can use the term, so much in love with what you're, what they're doing, the writing, the passion, and so on. In closing, yeah, yeah. sorry, in closing, is there anything that you would like to add that you you want our listeners and your readers to know about your book and about you as a writer? I will be writing uh, a book. It will be about myself. It's a biography, but uh, that will be next year. I want them to know that no matter where you come from, no matter what your background, I suppose you have read the book or you have seen a little bit of it, uh, that I said that I didn't do well in school. Now, that not, is not because I'm thick, but my, uh, my, where I come from, uh, my dad had a, had, a, had a stroke, and so we have to help out where we can, so I miss a lot of schooling. Uh, but 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 when I grow up uh, mature into maturity, and I I, I I I fell in love with reading because what reading does, it opens your mind to what other think others think, and it, it opens your mind to think yourself, not just about what others have uh, thought and written of themselves, but um, but this. This, this is um, what I would, in fact, one, one story, uh, one lady come up to me and said, my story inspired her, uh, uh, her motivation in writing so much that she wanted to have a talk with me that I, I can give her some pointers of, on how to start the book and finish it. Well, that's great that what you have written has inspired someone else to want to write their own story. Thank you for that. The man who murdered a quarter of the world's population, factual, it did happen, is published by Author House and is available direct from the publisher at authorhouse.com forward slash bookstore and all good book stockists. And you can find out more about this book and the author at irajaira.com. Once again, Many thanks to my guest today, the author, Ira J. Ira, for joining me. It has been a pleasure and we wish you every success with not only this book, but all your future writing. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. This is Rick Bell for Torganet Radio. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? more joy and less judgment, you're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Identity of Angie Arts, and joining me is the author Angie Peretti. Uh, she's in, I think, Kansas in the United States of America, but originally or, or primarily out of uh, the Florida area. Uh, welcome to the program, Angie. Oh, yes. So, yes, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yes, I'm snowed in 
at Kansas City, Missouri, for three days. This is the first day I've been able to get out. Well, it's uh, you know, I'm I'm originally from Canada, and then sometimes I don't know why, but my mind goes sideways, and I miss the snow. I uh, I think there's something wrong with my personality to do that, but hey. Uh, some people like it, some people don't. Um, welcome to the program. Your, your your book is certainly unique and probably one of the most unique books that I have encountered as an interviewer, and I've done 1,500, 1,600 interviews. Uh, from initial appearance, if I were to pick it up off the bookshelf at a local bookseller, I would think, oh, with the illustrations, it looks like it may be a book that's designed for children. What was the what was the motivation behind it? How did you get the idea for for uh, producing this book? Oh, boy, that's a good question. My motivation to write this book was threefold. First of all, I was under the spell of a soulful revelation in my life to reinvent myself, to create something very original in the visual arts medium, yet to fabricate an identity that would rally the arts and culture movement in my downtown Orlando arts community, and as one that represented my Walking Works of Art identity collection. Secondly, I had just published the Angie Arch trademark design in May 2006 and told myself back then over and over that I needed to expand this identity and begin writing the story of her origin with background details of who she was and how she got here. And thirdly, by now it was December 2007 and I had to stop procrastinating. The story was haunting me. So I finally made the commitment to begin the design and development stages of her identity transformation into an exclusively new and refreshing 21st century cartoon character for the arts before any more time lapsed. For if future sequels were ever to be planned, they would have to expand upon her origin and identity adventures. But you're asking me what this book is really about. Right. Well, this book is really about a lot of things at once. But first and foremost, and beneath the surface of the cover, this book is about everything that is about to happen after the reader reads it, captures the genie magic, and embarks on a soulful, self-prophetic journey to find the angel of their soul. It's about being woven in the genre of live theater and performing arts productions, portraying an interactive literary theater experience right on the spot. It's about being totally inspired by some creative whirlwind of energy swirling around me, thus acting out my artistic inspirations in real time. In its early formation days in 2006, it was about me wanting to reinvent myself into an identity character that was something very original and entertaining, and maybe even a little bit more about me embracing a daring effort to create a humorous caricature of myself. So this is really crazy stuff. Again, on the surface of its cover, this book is about giving the identity of Angie Art's identity and origin, which eventually, after much thought, was based on a fantastical autobiography of my childhood dream world as a little farm girl from Miami. The origin story proceeds to tell the reader who Angie Arts was and where she came from and sets the stage for her identity transformation into an adventurous muse with superpowers from the art gods. Well, the uh, uh, must have been some challenges in writing this. You have a phenomenal illustrator that was able to take your creative in, impulses, your creative ideas, and put them on paper. Uh, Stephen Adams oh, yeah. was him. How did you find him, and, and uh, were there challenges in getting this completed the way you wanted it? Oh, Stephen, uh, Alter House had uh, Stephen, I uh, forgot his last name, dear Jesus, I'm sorry. Adams, Stat- uh, Stephen Adams. Adam, Stephen, yes, yes. He he was the original uh, illustrator back in 2006 when I wrote the first sequel, the first uh, edition. Then when I started the second edition almost 10 years later, uh, I had to rewrite the book because I just didn't get it right the first time around. Stephen Adams was still on their staff, and he was just able to take my new – I added a few more pictures to the second edition and more – to make it more interactive for the for anyone to to capture themselves inside the illustrations and to really feel the feel of the book, the story. So, yes, he was still on staff, and he's with Author House staff. And this must have been one of the challenges in finding or re- reacquainting yourself with the illustrator. Were there challenges with the story itself? Oh, my gosh, the most challenging part about writing this book was developing the character origin of Angie Art. I thought about it for several weeks, 
and I hesitated about how I was going to portray her life transformation, trying to keep it simple that even, so that even children can be entertained. After struggling with so many ideas that I just absolutely hated, I just gave up one day and said to myself, why don't you just parallel your own life, your own childhood dreams and fantasies into the creation of this character? After all, it's all about you anyway, and you won't have to make it all up. So that's what I did. As I began to write the manuscript in fairy tale format, the story evolved into this fantastical autobiography of the dream world of a little girl who lived a very simple childhood on a 10-acre farm in Miami, always wondering about what I was going to be when I grew up, constantly reaching out and struggling to survive the forces of happiness and sorrow, and onward through the course of my life, always feeling sabotaged and devoid from expressing my own artistic creativity for one reason or another. In the end, this entire aspect became the most rewarding of all the emotions it took to complete the manuscript, reliving childhood dreams and aspirations and recalling precious family memories, both sorrowful and jubilant. During the writing process, ironically, I actually had another soulful revelation. As per the words of the MIT centurion genie, that I had already been living my destiny since my soul was in existence. Suddenly, I found myself to be very familiar with the, with the identity, feeling like I already knew her and feeling a very natural attraction to her artsy spirit. I know now that writing this book must have always been on my roadmap to my destiny and that maybe I really did have all those dreams in my sleep and that surely I grew up to have lived long enough to become an author to tell the world about the identity of Angie Arts. Again, this is really some crazy stuff. It is some crazy stuff, at least on the surface, but there must be some words or some ways that you would describe this story. What would those be? Yes, that might make it a little simpler for the, read, for the listeners. Uh, three words that describe the story, symbolic, historical, and nostalgic. With symbolic, any reader won't know this because they didn't hear this interview, but those who do will hear that the entire book is full of personal symbolism. As an autobiography of my childhood dream world, each fantasy character represents a real-life family member. In addition, each character's significance portrays precious memories and certain lifetime circumstances that I shared with them, affecting me very personally and deeply as the author. But also... They were intimately involved in my own personal growth to the woman designer and artist I am today. Some are deceased family members, while some others are still here today to laugh with me about this whole zany process. My brother Mark would know the best. Historical would also describe it. As an author on a mission to inspire the cultural history of the city beautiful, it was my intention to have created a cartoon character and an artsy icon that represented the art and that she might play hostess to a humorous communication platform of a townspeople comic strip with the arts community and to beckon the art patrons and worldwide visitors to visit the art venues in Central Florida. Nostalgic is another good word. The story really is very simple. Indeed, it was not my desire to write a complicated, lengthy storyline that would not be simple enough to read in one hour's time. It is nostalgic because I brought back to the reader's mind the classical fantasy characteristics from several fairy tale stories, for example, Cinderella, Snow White, and The Wizard of Oz, and also brought back some entertaining elements from a few comic book characters from the 20th century, like Superman, Batman, Dick Tracy, Wonder Woman, and Betty Boop. I also revamped some of their individual character traits into the origin mix of this new and refreshing 21st century cartoon character for the art. And again, it looks as though it's a cartoon book, sort of, and yet it has a, a great significance for adults when they read it. How would you introduce this book to an adult and let them get the concept of what you're doing? Oh, this is how I would simply introduce it. I'd just give it to them and say, bring a picnic basket and a blanket to Lake Eola, read the book without stopping. When you're finished, don't break the spell. Hold on to the trance and follow the monument map, map to the legendary landing spot of Angie Arts to experience an interactive literary theater production descending from fantasy to reality right before your very eyes. Let a momentary belief in magical fantasy entertain you. 
O, and look for Queenie, too. She's waiting for you, floating somewhere on the lake, to listen to your hopes and dreams. Do you think this book will appeal to only adults, or is this also a book that will attract children's, uh, children and their, their uh, imaginative uh, approach to life? Yes, I wrote the book kind of to appeal to, to all ages, from toddlers to seniors who could be entertained by the power of their own imagination, which we all possess, no matter what age we are. Within the simple storyline, the, the reader's senses would become captured by a beautiful little princess who only wanted to live her true destiny, who tirelessly sought to know her soulful identity that she dreamed about all her life. In the end, the reader relates his own dreams to the princess's plight and becomes totally inspired by an exciting realization that dreams really can't come true after remaining constant and loyal to one's desires throughout life. This is a practical realization that we all must work on our own magic inside our classroom of self-discovery in order to make our own dreams come true. And you, this message comes directly to the author, to all of you listeners. You have had some challenges in your life. Were any of those challenges, any of the growth of your life, were those things that caused uh, maybe a message to come through that you would uh, be passing along to the reader? Well, yes, I would want, I know the book is sort of confusing in many ways, because when you look at it, it, it kind of makes your mind look one way to the other with the illustrations, with the cover. And so you really kind of don't really know exactly what the book is really, you're supposed to take away from it. But I would want adults to really look at the book as a literary work of art but more importantly, as an expression of the author's artistic creativity, ingenuity, and talent. Perhaps they might relate to my wildest dreams and be surprised who they might find inside their own souls, like I did. And then I would want children of all grade school ages to be entertained by the magical energy of the almighty centurion genie and by the classic disappearing acts of Marco, the marvelous magician. And lastly, I would want teens and adults of all ages to become inspired and motivated by to spend some time in their own classroom of self-discovery, to think their thoughts inward and really talk to the angel of their souls. Maybe they need to look deeply into the phantom prophet's magic mirror to see who they might find. In your writing and producing this book, is this the end of everything, or what is your long-term goal with, with your creativity? Mm -hmm. All right, the long-term goal, actually an immediate goal would be, uh, I would love this to happen. My lofty goal to Angie Art is, number one, to adapt the book to a live theater script for a 21st century live theater music production with dramatic operetta scenes and a cast of colorful characters, opening night at the Dr. Phillips Performing Arts Center in Orlando and premiering Angie Peretti as costume designer, of course, I am more than ready to use my golden needle. This live theater production will illustrate inspirational values, entertainment values, and cultural values to everyone, and its thematic impact on the masses would shine a positive light to all. I predict that it will become a 21st century classic to rival other notable adventure musicals like Lion King or Aladdin or live theater classics like Phantom of the Opera and Mamma Mia!, and number two, I really want to write the sequel in the format of the Angie Arts comics to rally the productivity of artistic inspiration that only comes from the depths of our souls and to create a communication threshold that cultivates and nurtures the youth of our country with the ideals of literature, culture, and artistic values. If I could be a catalyst to, to this humanitarian endeavor, surely I would be living the identity of Angie Arts. And maybe... Just maybe, I really do have magic superpowers from the art gods. You certainly have created a, a, a wonderful, imaginative setting for this book and for the story. What is it about this book that's different from other things in the marketplace? As I mentioned, I have interviewed about 1,500 uh, authors, and many of them have similar works, but not exactly like yours. Mm -hmm. Well, because the book was written in the genre of live theater and performing arts, and that's the main genre. Forget about children's books, fantasy stories, blah, blah, blah. It's really written in the genre of, of, of live theater production. So this book is a literary art production 
that transcends into an entertaining adventure all its own. It's an artistic endeavor that portrays the genre of live theater and performing arts. The multi-page illustrations are so awesome and add vivid colors and excitement throughout the book. Portraying its entertainment value, the book takes readers of all ages on a wild ride through the literary art of fantasy, bringing to mind the magical adventure elements of the many favorite fairy tales of olden days, like phantom sorcerers, magicians, and magic potions, magic mirrors, genie lanterns, and of course, flying carpets and green leprechauns dancing around a, a pot of gold. But what makes it really unlike others is that the plot takes the reader on that wild ride through storybook fantasy in the beginning, then abruptly drops the reader right back into reality in the end. While descending the reader back to a reality format, it is the reader's mission to hold on to the trance as he follows the monument map at the end of the book to find the legendary landing spot of Angie Art. Thus, the stage is set for him to experience that interactive literary theater experience right on the spot. When the reader gets to the landing spot, he imagines the magic spells ending upon Angie Art and her pet swan during that magical moment when the angel of her soul is released. As per the almighty centurion genie, all peoples of the third millennium who gaze upon the fantastic aura of this magic swan shall ponder their own soulful revelation that will move their hearts to joy. And don't forget, nearby in the lake is Queenie, the fantasy swan, the real-life magic black neck swan floating about with elegance and grace. When this book is read on the banks of Lake Eola, the book becomes an interactive literary theater adventure that entertains the reader's momentary belief in magical fantasy. Just a slight mention, the fact that really sets it apart, well... There are a few books like mine that include a treasure cache hunt to the actual, physical, historical landing spot of the fantasy cartoon character. This book is slated to become a letterboxing adventure trek for art sculpture lovers around the world, which has yet to be set up. So we're, we're working on that part. But in the meantime, uh, it's, that's what we have future goals for the book. Well, congratulations. This is a beautiful work of art, I will say that for it, and certainly fascinating to read. The title of the book is The Identity of Angie Arts. My guest author, Angie Peretti. Angie, my listeners will want to get a copy of this. How do they do so? Well, you could go to my website at AngieArts.com or my author name, AngiePeretti.com or actually AuthorHouse.com and search for the title. Very good. And Angie is spelled without an E, A-N-G-I, and Peretti, P-E-R-R-E-T-T-I. Thank you, Angie, for joining me today and sharing your story. Wonderful. Best to you. Thank you, you, Jay. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.